Um, a little bit more about myself and my wife. She just had a baby 14 days ago, so she couldn't make it. We're actually in the U.S. just for a couple of weeks. We leave on Tuesday, this Tuesday. Um, and the reason we were here was basically we just came. We wanted to deliver the baby safely, and we're going to head back to Mexico, Puebla, because that's where we have our ministry. And right now, um, we've had a really awesome opportunity just to be able to serve God in full-time ministry in Mexico. And one of the things that we do in Mexico is we have an orphanage. And in that orphanage right now, we have 82 kids that come from all types of different situations. Uh, most of these kids were either living on the streets or had been abandoned by their parents at some point. And so they didn't have a place to live. And bringing them into the orphanage, not is it's not just uh, teaching them about the love of Jesus. It's uh, feeding them every single day. It's bringing them to school. It's um, bringing them to church. It's 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 basically like if you were to adopt a kid, except you adopted 82 kids. So now you have one really large family that you have to take care of, and you need a lot of people to help you take care of all these kids. And so that's uh, a little bit of what we've been doing. Um, my wife and I also have a ministry institute in Mexico that teaches young, passionate people how to serve God in full-time ministry. We've had 600 people graduate from our institute and these a lot of these uh, people who graduate they actually are serving as part of our staff taking care of kids in the orphanage or the church or some of them are going back to their churches and they're serving as staff in their churches and so we had an awesome opportunity to be able to just
I can move a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, I have enough wiggle room. Thank you. Um, so I'm realizing every two hours this baby cries. And they had told me that before I had a baby. I, you, it doesn't really become a reality until you're holding the baby and you're trying to sleep and then the baby starts crying. And then they don't tell you it takes about an hour to feed the baby. So then you only have like an hour before the baby starts crying again. And so as I'm doing this, I'm realizing that I don't have a lot of time. Now, I don't know how many people here have been busy. Uh, maybe you're in school. Maybe you're just in life. You're working. You're doing church. And you're busy. Um, I was reading some statistics, and I, I wanted to share with you that in this book, it's called 4,000 Weeks. It talks about how we spend our life. And I guess on average, each of us has 4,000 weeks to live, and then our life is over. And I like, I like putting it in weeks because it really shows you how short life is. Uh, we spend 1,300 weeks of our life sleeping. Yeah, so you have 4,000 weeks, but you're going to spend 1,300 weeks sleeping. And then guess what? You're going to spend 1,300 weeks working, which means you actually only have 1,300 weeks free to live. That doesn't even include your driving time and all the other things that you have to do. Um, actually, I was looking at some statistics, and they say that we spend 10% of our life washing dishes, doing laundry, and cleaning the house. 10% of those 4,000 weeks. Well, that kind of stinks because that's 400 hours, and I only had 1,300 hours left, you know? That would bring me down to 900 hours. What am I? What, 900 weeks? Like, I really only have 900 weeks free. And then the bummer about that is that that's like usually the end of your day. You know, after work, you're tired. Um, you still got to cook. You got to eat. And then you still got to do housework and all this other stuff. And, and I was wondering, like, knowing this, how do we spend our life? Knowing that life is limited and we don't have a lot of time, uh, according to last year, the average person spent 706 hours on social media last year. 706 hours. Now, I don't know if you're laughing because you're the TikTok person or the Snapchat person. There's a lot of teenagers here. Maybe you're the YouTube or Facebook or Instagram. I mean, there's a lot of different platforms, but 706 hours a year. We spend, on average, starting age 15, uh, two and a half hours a day watching TV. That's not including social media. It's about a movie a day. Two and a half hours watching TV. Do you know that, um, how many of you guys have Call of Duty? You can be honest. I'm going to just get a raise of hands here. Okay, it's like half the church. Okay, that's good to know. Uh, you guys are evangelized. That's good. That's good. Um, before age 21, the average male will spend 10,000 hours playing video games. Yeah. Some of you guys are like, yeah, I'm a level 150 because that's as high as they go, right? 10,000 hours playing video games before age 21. What could you do with 10,000 hours? Honestly, uh, you could learn three languages. Um, if you had 10,000 hours, you could finish your bachelor's and your master's. You know, assuming minimum wage is still $10, which I think it went up, you could have $100,000 in the bank account. Um, but instead of doing that, I mean, we become professionals at video games. They actually say that with 10,000 hours, you can master anything. You can become a genius at anything. There's a lot of geniuses in this room. It's just not the kind of thing that makes money. It's not the kind of thing you'd expect. But that's before age 21. Uh, and, I, and I started doing the math, and I realized, okay, let's say you don't play video games. 
let's say you don't do the average of two and a half hours watching TV. Maybe you do two hours and 30 minutes of social media, two and a half hours total. Do you realize that that's uh, 10% of your day? So when that hit me, I realized that a lot of us are tithing our time to TV or we're tithing our time to distractions. And I thought, wow, like I never, I've never heard of the concept of tithing our time, but as a generation, we tend to tithe our time to things that don't matter a lot. And then I asked myself, what would happen if we tithed our time reading the Bible? See, I'm a numbers guy. See, that's what's a good thing. You can throw out a lot of numbers, but did you know it takes 70 hours to read the Bible from Genesis all the way to the end? And, and, and you know what that means? If you, instead of tithing our time to watch TV, if we tithed our time to read the Bible, check this out, we would read the Bible once every month. Once a month. You could read the Bible 12 times in a year. Unfortunately, if I were to do a survey and ask how many of us have read our Bible once in our lifetime, maybe half of the room wouldn't be able to raise their hand. And I realized something really interesting, and it's this. Nowadays, Satan doesn't have to cause us to sin to walk away from the church. He doesn't have to cause us to live a life of sin to be separate from Jesus and the presence of God. One of the strategies he has is he wants us to live a distracted life. And so many of us live distracted lives. We live busy lives. We live lives where we're running from here to there and we don't have time. And then when we do have time, we have to spend it on a phone or a device. And, and, and while watching TV, it's not bad. It's not a sin. But it can become such a distraction in our life that it can steal the purpose that we have in our lives. And so I want to ask you this question. Today, if you were diagnosed with terminal cancer and the doctor said, hey, you have 12 months to live, what would you do different? Yeah, what would you do different? I had to ask a friend this question and he said, you know what I would do? I would... uh." I would work as much as I could so that I could leave some money for my family before I leave. I thought that was really interesting because the next person I asked said basically the opposite. He said, I'd quit my job and I'd spend as much time with my family as I could before I die. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. I, I don't know what your experience with church has been. A lot of people have uh, bad experiences with church. Um, I've had a good experience with church, but... I don't base my faith on my experience with church, but my relationship with Jesus. Because Christianity isn't about what goes on on Sunday. Christianity is about true relationship with God, and that usually happens in the Word. And so my answer would be I would uh, probably quit my job, and I'd dedicate myself full-time to just evangelizing. I would try to bring one or two people with me before I go if I only have a year left. But the funny thing is, even though I say that, I don't actually think it's true. I don't actually think a lot would change if they told you you had 12 months to live. Because the reality is, if you were going to change, you probably would have done it already. Yeah. 
And that's it's it's a hard reality to embrace, but if we're really going to make change, if we're really going to do something different, why wait until we have 12 months to live? You might as well say, I'm going to wait until I'm 80 years old, and then I know for sure I'm, I'm on my last few years, and then I'm going to start doing what I was called to do. It just doesn't make any sense. If you were going to do something about it, you would do something about it today. You would do something about it now. And so what is the point of all of this? I think that we have to ask ourselves the question, why are we distracted? And why can't we let go of things that we know we should let go of? I think that the answer is pretty simple. Too many of us have fallen in love with the things of this world. So I became a missionary seven years ago. And I went to Bible college and, you know, I thought missions was going to be one thing. And I, and I got to the missions field and my dad was also a missionary uh, he's been a missionary for 35 years, so I'm a second-generation missionary. And my dad would tell me stories about persecution and, and how they tried to shoot him. And at one point, they actually hired some hitmen to kill him and his family, and they were going to pay him per person that they killed. And, and all of these stories and how actually, funny story, he got deported from Mexico to the U.S., not the other way around. They didn't want him there because he was a security hazard. Right, we had to get new passports, and then he decided to go back to Mexico to do missions. And, and and I heard all these stories growing up, and I thought, man, when I'm a missionary, I'm gonna be ready for persecution. Right? How many of you have been preparing for persecution? Right? We always we have these ideas of like the zombie apocalypse or the end times, and we're preparing. We have our bunkers and all these things. But I realized after seven years of being a missionary that the greatest threat to the church is not persecution, it's the seduction of this world. I've worked with so many missionaries, and persecution has never taken any of them out of the missions field. You know what takes them out of the missions field is the love of the things in this world, the love for more, the love of comfort, the love of security, the love of um, wanting the best for your kids and the funny thing is that leaving actually ends up hurting the kids more and helps them because if they had just stayed they would have grown up to be radical young passionate people and and I look at it and I and I realize that sometimes we prepare for the wrong things and we're not realizing the the attack that the enemy has on our lives and so as I'm talking I hope that some of this comes to mind that some of us may be living distracted lives some of us may be living busy lives, and what I think God is calling us to is to holiness. Generally, when we talk about holiness in the church, we talk about purity or righteousness and how you have to be pure, but the word holy actually doesn't have anything to do with uh, purity. It's a separate word. Holy means to be set apart, set aside from everything else. And so when you think of something that is holy, think of the Ark of the Covenant. In the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was where the Holy Spirit lived. And that was the presence of God, and it was holy. And it was so holy that it was separated from all of Israel, and it was put in a special room that only 
the high priest, only one person in the whole country could go in and he could only go in once a year. And I find that so interesting because later you see in the in the Bible that this holy object became not that it became less holy, but people saw it as less holy. When David is king now and he should know better he goes and he sends a bunch of soldiers to move it and he puts it on a donkey and, and it's something that's supposed to be set apart. It's holy, but they don't treat it as such. And so when it falls, one of the soldiers has to try to grab it, keep it from falling, and he dies. And I think that that's so interesting because First Peter one sixteen says, It is written, Be holy because I am holy. In other words, be set apart because I am set apart. And what does it mean in this generation to be set apart? What does it mean for us to be a holy generation? I think that one of the things it means is that we have to be set apart from the love of the things in this world. And that's something that is so easy in this generation is to fall in love with the things in this world, especially because in the United States, there's access to so much. There's access to more than we could possibly need. And James 4.4 4 says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And so I want to talk to you about some practical ways that you can be holy, that you can be set apart. And it's it's probably not something that you've heard before, but it's biblical. And one of them is actually the first thing that God named holy in the Bible. Can any of you guess what it is? It was the Sabbath. When God creates the planet and on the seventh day, he actually says, this is the seventh day, it's, it's going to be holy. It's going to be set apart from the other six days and this day is supposed to be honored, and this is going to be a day of, of rest. And I find that really interesting that he named a day holy, and the whole point was that people would learn how to rest, and people would learn how to stop running. And, and I know there's a lot of teenagers in here, but this actually applies to your life as well because you can also get really busy in life, especially now that you're going to start college soon, and, and a lot of you could even start a job, and you want to do, 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 and do, and get busy. And God calls us to be holy, to be set apart. And I find it really interesting that after Israel leaves Egypt, they're in the desert, but they don't actually know God anymore. It's been 400 years. They've been slaves. Uh, now Moses is in charge of them. But there's they, they know God. They know some of the laws. But there's so many questions that they have that aren't answered. And so what Moses has to do is he literally becomes a judge. And he has to deal with every single situation. And they bring a problem to him, and they don't know what to do. So Moses hears the problem. He goes to God. He asks God questions. He comes back, and he tells them what to do. And God finally gives them the Ten Commandments. And one of the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment, is to honor the day of the Sabbath. And it's actually in length. It's 40% of the Ten Commandments. It's the only commandment with instructions. Pretty interesting. And finally, they're, they're God gives them different laws. And if you look at the laws in the Old Testament, different sin had different punishments. So if you stole something, you know what that meant was you had to pay back seven times what you stole. 
okay, well, that's that's a bummer, but at least I don't have to do jail time, right? Um, if you murdered someone, well, there was the death penalty. It was a life for a life. And so the worst is sin, the worst are consequence. But it's really interesting that Israel's finally out in someone, the very first day out that they have starts working. And Moses doesn't know what to do, so he goes to God and he says, God, what should I do? This guy's working on the Sabbath. And and God God puts this uh, breaking this law. You know what in what category he puts it? He doesn't put it in the category of stealing or lying. Uh, he puts it in the category of murder and rape. And he says, I want to take this very seriously. And I want to put this here and the people who don't rest, it's a death penalty. You're like, what? I had to st- I, when I was reading this, I had to stop there for a second. I had to actually took me like three weeks uh, of processing this to understand. God, why would you put a death penalty for people who broke the Sabbath in the Old Testament? And I had to really think about that, and I think I realized why. I think that the reason is because if you don't honor the physical rest that you need, you die spiritually. And God was more interested in people's spiritual life than he was in their physical life. And I see it now. So many people who work seven days a week and they don't stop. And they're people who love God and they go to church. They get so busy. After a while, their relationship with God just, it dries up. It becomes stagnant. And then all of a sudden, they're just cold inside. And they don't care about God. They don't care about the things that God has. Their ambition in life is to work, to make more, and to be busy. And the interesting thing about that is that I think that the reason that God calls us to stop is because he wants us to have a healthy spiritual life. The second reason was because of family. That's the whole point of the Sabbath was to honor family. I was preaching at this other church, and I was they asked me to teach them how to do evangelism. And so I was teaching them, and I've noticed that all their questions were basically based on how to evangelize my family, how to evangelize my son or my daughter or my sister. And, and, and I realized in that moment that what the church needed wasn't to learn how to evangelize. What the church needed was to learn how to do family again, to learn how to parent <laughs> to learn how to honor the Sabbath, to have a day set apart for the family so that their families wouldn't walk away from God and serve Him. And that's why it is so important to have that time for your family every week. Did you know that um, in a survey of 300 pastors, um, 42% of them had been uh, acting inappropriately sexually? 23 of them had had affairs, and a third of them were struggling with pornography in the last 30 days. I thought that was really interesting because it talks about the immorality even within the church or church leaders. That's why it's so important that as Christians, we don't put our faith in a person, in a pastor, because that's not Christianity. Christianity is about Christ and your relationship with Christ, and that relationship is born in your home. And... I was reading these statistics about how the average age when someone watches pornography is 11 years old. 11 years old. And unfortunately, 22% of people who watch pornography for the first time are actually under age 10. 
it's sad. But every second, there's 28,000 clicks on a pornography page. 28,000. 28,000. 28,000. The porn industry makes $100 billion a year. 47% of families reported that porn was a problem in their families. And then the families that struggled with porn uh, actually increased affairs by 300%. And then the sad thing about all of that is that actually a third of all of the women in porn videos are not there by choice. Most of them are in sex work. And to know that and to know how twisted this world is and how sin can distort reality and sin can keep us from the presence of God, but we realize that sin actually hurts others, not just ourselves. And a lot of the reasons that people sin is because they don't know how to stand still in the presence of God. And I would, I would challenge everyone here that church is about more than what goes on on Sunday. Church is about more than just a Sunday service and Sunday songs. The most beautiful thing about Christianity is what you can find in the person of Jesus in your room, in those moments where you're alone. Uh, I can just tell you that the most beautiful moments that I've had with Christ are moments where I'm with him in my room. It's just me and him and he's speaking. And so why be holy in this generation? Why set ourselves apart? Because setting ourselves apart from this world, it's not easy. It doesn't mean you're going to be a monk <laughs> and, you know, you don't have a cell phone and you go back to the flip phone and you don't even know what a TV is because you're so holy. You're, you know, you're just like in, in the Stone Age. I don't know. Like that being holy, being set apart, it, it means that you love God with all of your mind, all of your heart, and all of your soul, which means that you love God more than you love the things of this world, which means that there's some sacrifices you have to make. Now, I don't know what series you watch on Netflix, right? I had to close my Netflix account, but I still watch Disney. I still have other platforms. But there's, there's a lot of garbage out there. And so why be holy? Because 2 Corinthians 16.9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You've done a foolish thing, and from now on, you will be at war. I find that so interesting. God's eyes range throughout the earth. God's eyes range throughout this church, this room right now, looking for those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He wants to find people who are set apart. He wants to find people who are committed to him so that he can give them his power and his blessing. But then when he doesn't find that person, he says, you've done a foolish thing because from now on you will be at war. I want God, when he's searching the earth to see me and to say, there is a person I can reach. There is someone that I can put my hand on and I can give him my blessing because he won't fall in love with the blessing more than the blesser. Successful people do consistently what ordinary people do occasionally. So if you want to be successful in your relationship with God, you have to be consistent. 
you have to set an alarm. You have to be practical and say, hey, what is the time that you spend with God? If I ask you that question, everyone should be able to say, this is my time with God. Because if it's not in your calendar, you know what happens? Not God, right? <laughs> Something else, Netflix, TV, distraction. We need to set a time apart in our week, which will be the Sabbath, but in our day where we can spend time with God. And in that time is when true relationship begins. And so we see the story of Abraham in uh, Genesis 18. And Abraham is walking to Sodom. And God says that he's going to destroy Sodom. It's a city uh, full of sin. Uh, they've been doing these wicked things before God. And he says, I'm sick of it. I'm going to destroy the city. And as Abraham's walking, Abraham asks God, he says, hey, if there were 50 righteous people in the city, would you destroy the city? And God's like, well, look, find 50 people in the city, I will. So Abraham, I think he realized, man, Sodom's really messed up. I don't know if there's 50 people that are righteous in the city. So he starts negotiating with God, and he says, what about 45? What about 40? What about 30? And he finally gets God down to, God, if there were just 10 righteous people in the city would you destroy the city and you know what god says he says no i I, I wouldn't destroy the city i wonder though how many people in that city thought that they were righteous i wonder how many people in that city thought i'm not a sinner i don't need god I'm, i'm a good person i wonder how many good persons there were in that city and it shows me that our definition of holiness is different from the standard of holiness that God has for our lives. And it also shows me that the righteousness of just one person could save a city. And I see what's going on in Ukraine with Russia, and I think, will there be enough righteous people in the city to save the city? Well, I wonder if the reason that the city wasn't destroyed was because there was righteous people in the city. I wonder if the reason that God's hand is favoring a country that seemingly didn't stand a chance is, is, is fighting off one of the strongest countries in the world. And I, and I wonder, God, how are you going to use my family or how are you going to use me when you're looking to save a city? Isaiah 6, 8 says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? The prophet Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And I, I believe that God is still searching. Ezekiel twenty-two thirty says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the walls and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not destroy it. But I found no one. Jeremiah 5, 1 says, go up and down the streets of Jerusalem, look around and consider, search through her squares. If you can find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth, I will forgive the city. And and I love how the Bible is just so clear about God looking for someone who is honest, who is truthful, who is holy, so that he can give him his power to use to save a nation, to save a city. It really only takes one person. And and I want to read Jeremiah 5.1 again, but instead of saying, uh, go down the streets of Jerusalem, I want to replace that for Rio Rico, okay? 
and it just to make it hit home and it, it would say this go up and down the streets of Rio Rico look around and consider search through her squares if you can find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth I will forgive the city I will forgive the city I don't know what kind of Christianity you have been living but I can tell you that leaving America not that America is bad but leaving it all behind to serve Jesus full time in the mission field is the best thing I've ever done is the happiest thing I've ever done and I enjoy so much what I do and nothing can compare to it but God I believe has so much more for you in your life it doesn't mean you have to move away you have to quit your job but but I think that if you start applying the principles in the Bible simple things like rest simple things like seeking God in the morning while he can be found but simple things like turning off the distractions it can really change your life for the better because God is looking for someone who's not distracted Someone who is present in the moment. Someone who says, God, you're my send me. I, I want to be used by you. And when God finds that person, you see people like Abraham, like Moses, like Elijah. Like it, it's amazing what God can do with one person. Like Peter. Who even though he messed up, who he ran away from God time after time, he was still a man that was set apart. He was still a man that was looking to do things the right way. And I want to encourage you, what are the things that you need to let go of today so that you can be set apart, so you can be closer to God? And I want to pray for you as, as you think about that question because I think we need to process the word of God for it to really sink in. And so, Jesus, I pray in this room, I pray for this church, God, that you would help us, God, to be a church that is set apart. You would teach us, God, to be a people who are holy. God, we don't, we don't need those distractions. We don't need all the distractions to rest, God. We need to rest in your presence. We need, God, for you to revive us spiritually so that we can find the water, the living water, eternal life. And Jesus, I pray that in this room, you would begin to show people the things that they need to let go of, the things that they need to lay down at the altar so that they can be set apart. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bless the people in this church, that you would be with the people in this church, and that everyone could know, God, that there is so much more to you that meets the eye. That Christianity is not about church it's about true relationship with you and we pray that we could find that relationship with you in jesus name we pray amen amen thank you so much church you guys are blessed i hope that you can continue to grow and you can put this into practice it's the best thing you can do in life and i know you're not going to regret it and so kalani thank you so much for having me yeah